0: Here in Anchorage, I'd like to just take a moment and pray, and uh, ask you to join with me. That, uh, yeah, the, as we just prayed earlier, the Lord would have His way, and and give Him thanks and praise. Lord, thank You that we are a part of Your work, and You've, uh, as Pastor Brad reminded us earlier, every good gift is from You, and being part of of the Church of Jesus. Is a good gift. Being called out of darkness into light is a good gift. Uh, being here this morning, having the strength to get up and move about and and join together to to have the blessings of a, of a warm place and dry place in the midst of a of a vast wilderness. All these things. And now, Lord, we ask for your good gift of the Word of God, and that as James goes on to say in that ch- that chapter. May we not be mere, merely hearers of the word, but doers thereof. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, been uh, a good time. Lots of good material we covered Friday night, Saturday. How many of you guys were here for those uh, sessions? Just curious. Okay, shame on all the rest of you. Shame on you. <laughs> no, it was it was fun, but I, I you know, we all have things we got to do. But I am glad you're here today and that you could catch at least the tail end. And just going around and talking to some of the folks at some of the tables, I, I, I really hope you get a chance to visit with some and pick up some of the brochures from the different groups. It's just exciting. I was chatting with uh, the representative from the uh, the Prayer, uh Pregnancy Center, and, and that, was, that was really cool to hear what's going on. So I, I really hope and encourage you along the lines uh, after we're done here to be able to talk to some of those folks if you haven't already. I wonder if you could turn in your Bibles and let's look in this passage of Scripture from Genesis. Genesis, the beginning. 16, chapter 16. Genesis. Bible has cool names, doesn't it? Genesis. They could just call it the beginning or the start or it starts here. You know, but Genesis is so cool sounding. Sounds like a science fiction movie. Who likes science fiction movies? I love science fiction movies. Yeah, you geeks, just like me, bunch of nerds. I know, it's, it's rough to grow up being a nerd. I always wanted to be an athlete, but uh, it was rough playing basketball. I grew up in Louisiana, and a lot of the guys there just uh, were better than I was. I really know. And in football, I mean, they love football. I just wasn't big enough for football. My home state, Louisiana, had my home high school had one of the top basketball, uh, sorry, football teams in the country for a while, top high school teams. And I did do that much, but uh, I did have time for some other good activities like hiking around the wilderness out there in Louisiana. And we've got a cool new TV show from my hometown from West Monroe, Louisiana. It's a cool TV show. It's called Duck Dynasty. Yeah. Who's seen Duck Dynasty? Anybody? Look at that. Yeah. Now. Now we're talking. Guys, great big beards down to their waists, and uh, those are real beards, by the way. Those are not stage beards. I know you were worried about that, so I wanted to clear that up. Time to loosen up a little bit, have a little fun. They're Christian guys, too, and that's why I like to watch it. It's because they're Christian guys. They close every show around the dinner table with the extended clan. And my sister and mother, for a while, they they didn't like it because... Everybody around here is not like that. That's just for TV. The way the way they act. That's what my sister said. I said, "Why don't you look in the mirror, honey?" (laughs) Yeah, if you if you could grow a beard, you probably would have at one point in your life. (laughs) I did. Man, yeah, good guys. Actually, Pastor Brad was mentioning short term. I'm actually going. We're going to see them. We're going to go by the Duck Dynasty headquarters it's just across the highway from where my folks live where i grew up and my wife keeps telling me don't do it don't do it but i'm going to go in i'm going to say i got a i got an idea for you i'm going to pitch him an idea you come to turkey and do a show come to turkey and do a duck dynasty episode doesn't that sound like a nice idea i think it'd be a great idea i'm not i'm not kidding so maybe if we do that you guys can plan a short term and dovetail it we can have duck dynasty alaska turkey really make it exciting there they can, go, they can go hunting for uh, ducks down in the, the valleys between the mountain peaks, and Brad and his gang go bear hunting up on the peaks, deer hunting, and I'll kind of stand halfway in between and, and relay messages back and forth for the, for the camera crew. Media is a great way to, to do evangelism, and we've seen a lot of cool things happen. I'm going to share a little bit about that, but I want to talk a little bit about now Genesis chapter 16. And, Let's read through this. It's, it's a story we really have to read. Abraham, Abrams at this time, Abrams' wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him. But she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. But Abram's, so Arab, uh, Abrams wife, Sarai, took Hagar her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. And this happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she realized that she was pregnant, she treated her mistress with contempt. That would be Hagar treated Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And ever since she saw that she was pregnant, she's treated me with contempt. May the Lord Lord judge between me and you. Sad that happens in marriage a lot of times. The poor guy, he gets blamed for everything. Hey, it was your idea to make me sleep with this woman. It's all your fault, Abram. So Abram said, okay. Your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. And Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, "Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, you must go back to your mistress and submit to her mistreatment. The angel of the Lord also said, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, You have conceived and will have a son, and you will name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. The man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live at odds with all his brothers. So she called the Lord who spoke to her, the the God who sees. For she said, In this place I have actually seen the one who sees me. I'm sorry, I misread the question. Have I actually seen the one who sees me? That is why she named the spring a well of living a well of the living one who sees me. It is located between Kadesh and Berad. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son Hagar had. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Where do you start? Well, I guess the best place to start is where it all started. And that's here in this chapter. Abraham gave a sire to son. Hagar gave birth to this boy. He grew up to a young man. Maybe a warrior. Something of the nature of his life had been described in this Prophecy this word from God about this man. He will be a wild donkey and he will be against everyone and everyone will be against him. He'll have odds with his brothers. Ishmael grew up, went on to start his own tribe. They were the Ishmaelites. And you read about them here and there through scripture, but you don't hear about them much more after the book of Genesis. Because As you probably know, Abram, who we now know as Abraham, gave uh, rise through his wife, Sarai, who became known as Sarah, to the son Isaac and his lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then in Isaiah chapter 60 we come across this interesting passage of scripture. I'm going to get back to this, but I want to go on and look at what happened with this offshoot of Abram, Abraham, Ishmael and his descendants. It seems they probably went into the Middle East into what's now the modern day country of Jordan. That would be east of Israel, the modern day country of Israel. And then there's southward. You've got the country of Saudi Arabia and these Lands these harsh, harsh, dry, hot, desert lands inhabited by jackals and camels and wild donkeys. They became the cradle of a new movement, a reinvigorated movement that claimed to be the restoration of the original faith of Abraham. And their leader was born of... One of three main tribes of Arab people, their leader's name was Muhammad. And he considered himself to be of the lineage of Ishmael and through Ishmael, the lineage of Abraham. Today, in the world, it is almost as if we just read in Genesis chapter 16, your descendants will be too many to count. That would be Ishmael's descendants would be too many to count in this passage of Scripture where God was talking to Hagar. And now there are about a billion point six, a billion point six, that's 23% of the human population are affiliated with Islam. And the number is growing. About five months ago, I saw something on the news that for the first time in history, In 1,400 years, first time in history, the number of Muslims surpassed the number of Roman Catholics in the world. There are now more Muslims than Roman Catholics. Second to all of the Christians added together are the number of Muslims. Almost one out of every four human beings is a Muslim. Think of that. Every four, one of every four human beings today, right now, is Muslim. In the center of the most holy city of Islam, that would be the site of the, the objective of the Hajj, where Muslims make their pilgrimage every year, in the center is a large black box. It's a l- large black building. And Muslims believe that that big black box probably probably be about half the size of this room. It's a cube, more or less, a cubic shape. And it's tall, maybe as high as this ceiling. It's big, big, big black box building, stone covered in a black velvet. In the corner of it is a, uh, is a meteorite that has been embedded. They believe that that building was built by Abraham and his son Ishmael to commemorate the spot where Abraham offered his son Ishmael as a sacrifice. Did I just say that right? (laughs) Because scripture says it wasn't Ishmael. It was Isaac that God told Abraham to take up on the mountain. But they believe it was, in fact, Ishmael and that that site marks the spot. So much of the Islamic religion and culture is tied in a long thread all the way back to the story of Isaac. Abram and Ishmael, and so we can say that along with so many other things that the book of Genesis speaks of, this is the beginning. This is the start of Islam. And who are these people? What do they believe? And why does it seem that Muslims are embroiled in so many conflicts in the world today? Not the least of which is the land of Palestine the ancient land of Isaac and Jacob, Abraham. And when we look at the current situation in the world today, the 21st century, which in many ways will be remembered if the Lord tarries as the century of Islam. This is the century of Islam. I used to try to sit around and calculate. I was born in 64, and I can remember when I was about 10 or 12. I try to calculate what year I would live to. Did you ever do that? I don't know, I just did that kind of thing. Well, let's see, if I live, I'll live maybe to 2000, whatever, uh, 50, 2060, who knows, medical technology advances. Maybe I'll live halfway through this century if the Lord gives me a health, long, healthy life. You will live through a good part of it. If you're a young person, you'll live through most of it. And it will be the century of Islam. And I think that this passage of Scripture that we just read gives us a very important insight into the real nature. Who are these people? Look at what God said to Hagar. Profound experience. God speaks to this Egyptian slave woman. Listen, it was because of the Gentiles and Jesus' concern for the Gentiles in his first public sermon. When he stood up and he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to preach the good news. And he goes on, he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what did that crowd of Jewish folks in that synagogue at that moment do? He went on to say, you will say to yourself, physician, heal your, you will say to me, physician, heal yourself. And he goes on to refer to the Gentile people. And what did they do when they heard him talking about the Gentile people? They grabbed him. And they dragged him out to the edge of the town where there was a precipice. And they were going to toss him off and kill him. Right then. It wasn't a matter of waiting a few years for the cross. They Listen, we think about Jesus and the cross. And it wasn't a plot that developed slowly. Well, we all love him and like him. But, hey, well, I don't wait They just... As soon as he got up and opened his mouth, the day he preached his very first public sermon, they tried to kill him. And one of the things that provoked them, which is somewhat provoking to us today. Is God cares about Egyptians. Are these people bloodthirsty? God cares about Muslims. But look, in Genesis 16, we're barely into the to the book here. We're barely into the first few pages of the book. God shows up and talks to an Egyptian woman who's a slave. She's not related to Abraham. She's not from his clan. She's not of the lineage of any of these people. Listen, God had mercy on this woman. God had mercy on this Egyptian woman. He cared about her and he spoke to her. And he said, where are you going? And this is what is in the heart, whether they realize it or not. But when God speaks to them, God can awaken this in their heart to see their condition. He said, what are you doing? Where are you going? And she said, what'd she say? I am running away. Just let that sink in. I'm running away. You ever thought about running away? I did once. Probably about the same time I was figuring out how old I'd live. (laughs) Maybe I thought I was going to be big and on my own. I had a tiff with my parents, and I was probably 13. Blame everything on 13 or 14. We have a 14-year-old now, and that's a tough age. We have five boys. How many of you have teenagers or have lived and survived? God bless you. We'll get a T-shirt and say, I survived to the teen years. Run away. I'm running away. I am running away. She told God. She said, God, I'm running away. I am running away. I'm running away from Abraham. Abram at that time, Sarai. Those guys don't treat me right. They don't understand me. They got me into this situation. I wasn't looking for this situation. I, I was just trying to mind my business. First, Abram goes to Egypt. and In Egypt, he tells the Pharaoh that his wife is actually a sister. He's a liar. And then after that happens, and finally the Pharaoh gets so sick that he says, Why are you lying to me? This is not your sister. This is your wife. Take everything you've got. Well, I didn't even necessarily want to go, but I was working for him at that point. So here I am with this crowd of, of, of people. They're liars, and now they set me up to try to birth this baby, and then they mistreat me. So I'm running away. I don't know what your ideas are about Islam or Muslims. we have a lot of ideas. let's just name some things. Ayatollah Khomeini, 9/11, Ahmadinejad, Iran, um, Arafat. I could go on and on. Osama bin Laden, al Qaeda. I mean, let's just think about this a minute these. These people, most of them, never heard the gospel. No one ever told them about Jesus. No one ever told Muhammad about Jesus. You know, they didn't even translate the Bible into the Arabic language until about the 19th century. For a thousand... How many years is that? 19th century, 1800, that's... That's 1800 years. No one translated the Bible into Arabic. They were translating the Bible into Russian. I passed a Russian Orthodox church just coming over from where we're staying. It's even a new Orthodox church. The, the, Russian, ortho, the Russian language is called, uh, it's written in an in alphabet called Cyrillic. Any, you guys speak Russian? No Cyrillic? It's round. I've seen it here and there because there's Russians in the area. That language was created by missionaries. That uh, alphabet was created by missionaries. It's got a little Greek in it, a little Latin in it. Sometimes I think they just took the Latin letters and turned them upside down and said, oh, that works. (laughs) So wherever the kingdom of God expands, what is at the forefront? The word of God. The word of God is translated, the word is written, the word is preached, right? No one, for whatever reason, took it to the Arabs. Now, I'm not up here to say, well, hey, let, you know, pity them. They're just victims. But, but look at what happened to Hagar. Because here's the bottom line. None are righteous. No, not one. Romans says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And whether it was through neglect or whether it was through error or whether it was through intention, the church through the centuries has dropped the ball in taking the gospel to Muslims. And when we did get agitated enough under the Pope and the, 12th and 13th century, 9th century, I forget, it's way back there. We went out and, and launched the Crusades. And we tried to take Jerusalem back from the Muslims. There was a man named Francis of Assisi. And he said, you know, I don't think this is really the best approach. You know, I don't, I don't think cutting their heads off is the best approach. Let's, let's try something different. So he arranged to meet Salah the sultan of the Muslim world at that, that point, and he went to see him, and he was a bold man, that Francis. He said, I, I'm going to go preach the gospel to him and convert him to Christianity. But even at that point, to the best of my investigation, there was no scripture in Arabic. They had no, they did not have the gospel. So when you come across the Muslim's holy book, which is the book of which is the Quran, it's called, and you start going through the Quran and you find all these mistakes and errors and everything, you have to scratch your head and say, where did all this come from? And I believe that there is a demonic antichrist spirit in Islam. There is that there. It's kind of like your refrigerator. If you don't clean it out once in a while, some strange things are going to start growing in there. Okay, and and it's human nature, it's spiritual principle that where the field is not cared for and cultivated, weeds will inevitably take root and spring up and grow. And so you've got stories like Abraham taking Ishmael up onto the mountain as the sacrifice instead of Ishmael, uh, Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain. You've got stories in the Quran where Jesus. That it takes up a ball of clay and starts making it into a little bird, and he lets it fly away. That's not in the Bible. It's not necessarily a harmful story. But what about this one? When they say that Jesus didn't die on the cross, that he was taken up just before he died on the cross, and it was Judas who died on the cross, that somehow Judas' face was transfigured to look like Jesus, and no one realized that they weren't killing Jesus, that they were actually killing Judas and you have all these distortions and all this misinformation. But I'm going to tell you here today that the greatest need in the Muslim world is this book in their own language. This book in Arabic, in Pashtun, in Farsi, in Kazakh, in Turkish. In dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of other Muslim languages, languages spoken by Muslim peoples. And I'm not blaming the church, but I am saying that we all, under under the umbrella of Adam and Eve, we all need to evaluate ourselves and our attitude. Toward these people. Buddhists are nice guys, generally. You ever think about this? People ask me this all the time. What do you think about Islam? Is it a religion of peace? Is Islam Islam a religion of peace, you know? What do you think? That's what they're saying. Anybody ever heard that? President Bush said that after 9-11. Immediately, he said, this is Islam. It's a religion of peace. Islam means peace. The word Islam means peace. The word Islam is is from the same root as the word Salam. Our shalom it means peace, right? Shalom. Well, it does and it doesn't. Shalom means, our sh- salam. or Islam, means peace underneath a, a society ordered by the laws of Islam. So if everybody's conforming to the laws of Islam, they believe there will be peace. Just like we would say, our constitution The Constitution of the United States of America or the Declaration of Independence, these documents stand for peace, right? We would say that. I would say that. We're not generally, in our constitutional documents, a warmongering country. But the Declaration of Independence, with the hopes of establishing a free and a just society, led to a war, the War of Independence or the uh, the Revolutionary War. The British, we work with British folks, and they call it the war of rebellion. (laughs) It's all your perspective, I guess, right? And so when the Muslims say Islam means peace, what they're saying is if once the whole globe comes under the influence of Islam or the rule of Islam, then there will be global peace. That's what they're trying to say. They're not trying to say that there won't be war in the intermediate period. so with with the Muslims they're not they're not actively trying to go out and and create problems they're not trying to actively go out and and uh, just be anarchist. They have a mentality in mind, but the mentality is a mentality of conflict for a final destination of, of, of a global, better society. If a person says to you, I want to share with you about Islam. I want to talk to you. It's a good religion. I would like you to think about becoming a Muslim. They believe that they are doing you a favor because as a result of that, they think that your family life will be much better. They believe that your economic situation will be much better. Islam doesn't have... Uh, doesn't have interest they don't take interest on loans they think that uh your your health will be better i've had muslims tell me i should convert because five times a day when you pray you you do a sort of a prayer ritual that includes bowing down and standing up and then bowing back down and standing up and they say you do that five times a day that keeps you in shape (laughs) I say, okay um I'm trying to suggest to you that that when we look at, at Muslims, we're not looking at, at a diabolical thing, but in the context the the warfare, the conflict is it, it's justified in their minds. and why am I saying that i I've had so many people in 20 years of working with Muslims, I've had people say, Do you, are you afraid? Are you afraid? Are you, are you frightened? Do you, is it safe for your friends, for your family? You know, I have two answers for that. The first answer is this. Generally, Muslims are probably about as decent of a folk as you or I in a civil sort of way w- would meet anywhere down at Walmart do you have Walmart in Anchorage really it's good it's, it's a good thing it, just nice folks you know a of things in the cash register and you pay your money and everybody's polite they're basically decent people but the second answer is this what if they're not safe What if they're not safe? What if it's dangerous? Does that mean we shouldn't take the gospel to them? Think about that. Do we only go where it's safe? And I think, people have asked me several times this weekend even, what do you think about the church? You know, what what about the church in America? Somebody told me last night, don't be afraid, don't hold back. So I I, I don't want to offend anybody here, but we... We're overly concerned with our safety. Okay? Let's live unsafe. People are doing stupid things in an unsafe way for useless reasons. I'm saying do great things in an unsafe way for great reasons. I'm saying we live for God whether it's safe or it's not, because the the end result is eternal fruit. The kingdom of God is never advanced by wimps. Is it safe? You know, I was, we were at a, we were somewhere, I was at a Rotary Club meeting. And I don't know if everybody there was a believer. It's a Rotary Club meeting. And the uh, first thing one lady stuck up her hand and asked is, do you feel safe? If I, you know, I wouldn't need to raise support, Pastor Brad. If I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me if I feel safe in a Muslim world, it's this weird stereotype. And I always have that two reactions. A, you know, they're nice people. They're fine. No one's going to blow you up. B, what if it's not safe? You know, it's always the same thing. I always want to ask. And you have to be polite and everything and polite company. I'm just saying, I'm just saying this to the church. Throw out the safety bags. Live for God and quit being safe. Amen. I don't know. You guys with me? Hello. Hello. But I'm scared. I'm scared, I'm going to lose something. I'm scared something's going to happen to me. I'm si- <laughs> Let me give you a hint here. I don't know. Maybe you need a hint here. Some, you are going to lose something, and you are going unhappy you are going to be uh, unhappy, and, and, and you are going to someday, you know, break this to us, but we're all going to die. It doesn't matter how much insurance you've got. I don't care if you've got Obamacare. I don't care if you've got, look, I I don't care if you've taken every precaution and, you know, got the stocks just right and this just right. I'm not saying it's wrong, okay? But I'm saying if that is the controlling, guiding principle of our lives, we will end up wasting the precious few hours we have on this planet. You with me? Thank you. Now, I'm not trying to be ugly or anything here, but I'm just sort of thinking out loud. You know, you're thinking, I wish you'd keep that to yourself, wouldn't you? (laughs) Think to yourself a little more. There's so much safety equipment in the cars they make these days, I can't even get in and out of them. I'm not kidding. Tried to get out of a car the other day. That was a brand new car, and they, they kept pushing the unlock. It was a brand new car, so that the owners had just gotten it. They hadn't figured out all the safety equipment. I kept pushing the door and pushing the door. I was ready to smash the window, get out, get me out of this car. It was too safe. It's too safe. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. God, help us. Am I, is anybody here hearing what I'm trying to say this morning? The Muslims, whether they're, is what I was going to, to earlier. Oh, the Buddhists are nice, you know. They like to float flower petals in pools of water. The Japanese have these peaceful gardens where they go out and they, they rake the rocks, you know. And, and they sit in a peaceful, semi-comatose state meditating on whatever's out there. The meaning of the cosmos. They're not bothering anybody. The Hindus, they're, they're okay. They just don't necessarily like to eat meat too much cow meat they you know the cows are everywhere because that may be grandma or something so you can't eat a cow lord help us but these muslims are everywhere they got guns they got they got swords and you you sit down with a bunch of muslim guys and they all laugh at you and smile at you and they're wearing these gold necklaces gold everywhere with big swords hanging down swinging back and forth and they tell us how nice they. how (laughs) i was with this one Crazy situation several years ago in Turkey. I was having supper one night, and they, they always find out, oh, you're an American, so hey, what do you think about George Bush? I think they're still asking that. Actually, now the question is, what do you think about Obama? Is he a Muslim? I get that question from Turks all the, all the time. And I'm like, for crying out loud, I don't know Obama. Will you give me a break? I don't know if he's a Muslim or not. You know, I, I hate when people ask me questions that, I, they're like, how, how would I know that? You think just because I'm an American, I'm, I know Obama or something? Actually, I actually had a person ask me once if I drove back and forth between Turkey and America. I, I'm going to start doing what I read some guy. I was reading the National Geographic on the way over on the airplane. And they said this National Geographic photographer, he's not a missionary, he's just a photographer. He goes out in the wilderness. He always takes an inflatable globe. And when he goes up to these villages that are where people have never been out of the village, he blows up the globe and says, you're here and I'm here. I like that. I think I'm going to do that. Because it's amazing how sometimes we don't have a concept. So I'm at this restaurant with these people. And they're like, oh, George Bush this, George Bush that. And why, why did you guys invade, invade Iraq? And why, why, do you, you know, why do you hate the, the Palestinians? And on oh, no, no, I get the same standard questions, just right down the line. And uh, there's 15 million people in Istanbul. So I get a lot of questions. <laughs> 15 million people. And I'm bumping up against them all the time. And I said, look. He said, you're a warmonger. That's what he told me. Your country's a warmonger country. I said, look, I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying the way it is. But we name our kids names like John, it's, uh, uh, what is that in Turkish, Johanna, and uh, Bill and Bob, Benjamin. I don't know. We, you know, we, we, we got names. There's strange names these days. I don't keep up with them all. And I said, I, I'm not trying to criticize your culture or anything, but you, you name your kids names like Jihad. That's one, of the, that's one of the names they use for their kids. That means holy war. And, you know, I, I meet people named Jihad. I meet quite a few Turkish guys named Savash. That means war. That's what they name their kids. You hear, right, come here, so, come here, war. I should have named that. Hey, come see, I should have named that, those names for my boys. Here's war, here's battle, here's attack. Those, that would be great names for boys, wouldn't it? I am not kidding you. These are names. And they'll name, their, they'll name their kid Typhoon. Well, you recognize that, don't you? That's a popular Turkish name. They name their kid Zorbe. You know what that means? It means Mr. Difficult. That's the name of the kid. And they're proud of it. So I went through my litany of Turkish, uh, how shall we say, militarized names. And the guy behind the counter started laughing. He said, ha, you're right. You're right. You got me. You got me. You got me. Yeah, I see what you're saying. As they say, I I smell what you're stepping in now. I was like, yeah, I'm not trying to be critical. So we're up against a situation, folks, where we can back down, tuck our tail, or we can say, look, this is the situation. We're going to take the gospel to these folks, whether they are difficult or not. Is it safe? Is it safe? Look, I don't want to die, you know, prematurely, because I, I don't want to ever die. Does anybody want to die? No one really wants to die. Even people who take their own lives don't want to die. What they, what they want is they want to live without suffering. And they want to express something there. None of us are looking for that. But in his sovereign plan of things. And there's an old saying that says, the seed of the church, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That there have been times where men and women have had a special call to give everything, to pay the ultimate price. And whether it's paying the ultimate price that way or paying the ultimate price or paying a less than ultimate price, but still a high price like uh, Jim was sharing, where he had to go out into his coal room and, and stoke the fire. And I can rem- and when he was working in the Soviet Union, I can remember in Kazakhstan when we, used, we chose to use, dis- uh, not, uh, what do you call it? reusable diapers. Not disposable, but the, the old cloth kind. And we used that for our firstborn son. And uh, we didn't have running water. And we didn't have, uh, we had an indoor toilet. It worked part of the time, part of the time it didn't. We had an old outhouse just out. And the weather would get very cold, sub-zero not that different from, uh, Alaska, very cold winters. And I'd have to go out and get a bucket. My hands would be turning blue and I'd be washing out. Uh, How can I say it in polite company? Uh, an unpleasant experience and then dump the water from the bucket down in the outhouse. And was that safe? Was that comfortable? I just feel that God's speaking to folks here this morning and God wants to touch us with a sense that our lives really matter. That, that we're not we're not. I was sharing last night with some of the pastors and the mission team. We've come to a place in America that I believe through entertainment, through our uh, our, our loss of the vision of God. Our loss of what is grand, what is true, what is great. We trivialize the epic, and we try to make the trivial epic. Now, I won't name any names because I probably can't remember. But we've watched like a cooking show on television here and there since we've been back last August, and the music, and the the uh, staging, and the the way these guys sit there are like they're like they're God at Judgment Day to decide. Is this cheesy, whizzy, boozy, delicious meal better than this one? And their lives are on the edge. I just want to say that is trivial. It's trivial. It does not matter. At many, many levels, it does not matter. As our brother Mark was sharing about the orphanage, when he goes to a school and he sees 1,500 kids and not one of them has a toilet to use, but they have to walk out into the grass. Find the spot where the other 15, 1,499 haven't gone. Addressing those needs, that is epic. That's epic. Epic. But to try to make 99% of what Americans seem interesting and, and, and exciting and important, try to make those things, try to make that trivial stuff epic. We we have sinned. We have sinned. I said it. Said the S word, didn't I? People have told me, don't, you know, Americans don't like to hear the S word anymore. We've sinned. We need to repent. There's one solution. One And that's to respond to you. Listen, I had a dream years ago. It's a prophetic dream. It doesn't mean it has to be true, but it's a warning. And in my dream, I saw a vast crowd of people as far as I could see. It was in an auditorium like this, but there was no back wall. It went on for miles I couldn't see the end of it, like the earth's curvature. Hordes of people, crowds of people. And everyone was standing. And up sort of to the front were all these people that looked like me. They were, they were, they were like me. They were white Anglo-Northern Europeans. I'm not trying to get into a racial thing here at all. Please don't misunderstand me. But they looked like me. What they represented was they represented, in my mind, the majority Protestant church in America. That's who they represented. Everybody's standing. But just beyond them were all these, like a like a Turkish rug, a tapestry of many colors and many races and many many kinds of faces, tall and short, and eyes round and eyes slanted and. Heads long and heads round, all these people scattered in this huge crowd, and, and, and I was standing there addressing this crowd, and they were all standing, and I said, "Who wants to give them who wants to go on with the Lord? Who wants to go forward with the Lord? Who wants to, to be part of God's purposes of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? It's just a dream. And I said, if you don't want to do that, sit down. It was the opposite of the old-fashioned altar call. Every head bow, every eye. Cl- I could say those. You know, I grew up in the church. and Every head bowed and every eye closed. It's all weird, kind of spooky, you know. I always wanted to look around when people said that. I just... It was, it was the opposite of that. It was the opposite of, hey, everybody... You know, just qu- quietly so forth. If you want to follow the Lord, raise your hand. So it was an active, yes, I want to follow the Lord. And this, it was the inverse. It was an active, if you don't want to be part of God's purposes, then please sit down. So you had to act, in my dream, you had to actively say no to God. And all these white folks that looked like me sat down, and I was so disappointed. And then I saw this huge crowd of i I I would just say Asians, Koreans, Chinese, tribals, Central Asians, Asians. And they stood there and they said, we're going to do it. You know, I rejoiced in that. I said, yes, praise God. I don't want to be among those who have. This is what breaks my heart. It's one thing to not know better and and, and miss God's purposes. It's another thing to know and then say, I'm not going to do it. And that's what these people did. It was wrong and they missed it. And so when they asked me to come share today, I thought, you know, in many places I go. It's my heart's cry. Please don't sit down. Because God's on the move. God's on the move. Now, I know the world's a mess. It's a mess. But listen, God's bigger than the world. God's greater than the mess. If it's a mess today, imagine what it was like when they killed the Son of God. They had him there in flesh. And they killed him. Listen. Listen. There's a revival in Iran right now. Tens of thousands of Iranian Muslims are coming to Christ. We know some of them. We've met them in Istanbul. Some have traveled all across Turkey to get to Istanbul. They come to Istanbul where they can worship more freely and they can uh, be baptized. We were there one day when they baptized some folks and they came uh, to the church service and used the the baptistry. Kind of like this. I think this is a baptistry over here, isn't it? And they put white robes on and went down and came up out of the water, and their faces were were shining. You don't hear that on the evening news. It's not going to be on Fox or CNN. But there are tens of thousands of Muslims coming to Christ in Iran. It may be the biggest people movement in the world right now. It's happening. You can either sit down, I'll watch my cooking show. No, don't, don't I mean, watch a cooking show fine, but don't, don't, don't trivialize the epic. Don't try to make the, the trivial epic. And so when we come to this passage of scripture, and then in Isaiah, we see this promise. And I want to close with this, and then we're going to pray. Arise and shine, chapter 60, Isaiah, for your light has come. What does that say? It says, Arise and shine. Arise and shine. And guess what? Here in Isaiah 60, this is a prophecy about the coming of the Lord and the coming of the kingdom of God and the coming of him someday to establish his reign over all the earth. Guess what? In verse 7, there is a promise even for the Ishmaelites All the flocks of Kedar, that's one of the descendants of Ishmael, will be gathered to you. I will glorify my house. God has a purpose for the Muslims. They have said we're running away. But he has said, come back. We're going to pray now. And as you picture that vision, I would like to pray with you. If you want to come up front. I, we had a great time praying in the earlier service. I love to pray for people. love to pray with people. You pray for me. We're going to sing, and I, we have some freedom just to come and pray. You don't even know how, how it is God's going to use you. Look, in that dream I had, it was a wonderful dream because it wasn't like all these people had to go out and be missionaries or they all had to go out and be martyrs. They just had to... S- they just had to not say no. They just had to say, yeah, "I am here," <laughs> and that's what I want to pray with you about as we join. God, thank you for this time today. You turned the world upside down with a handful of men. One of them, one of them had uh, gone. AWOL, but the the other 11, they just were filled with the Holy Spirit and they turned the world upside down. What could you do with Cornerstone? What could you do with just one or two select people? What if it's five or ten? What if it turns into a a worship and a prayer movement? What if it develops into short-term teams, into new pioneer settings up in the north part of the state and regional settings, to the east, to the west, global settings? What could happen? What could happen to the youth if they take five minutes and turn off the iPods and, and turn off the Internet and begin to see what is truly epic and truly great? What could happen? It's up to you, Lord. Move our hearts, God. Touch us now as we pray. Really wrestle with us, Lord, and fill us with the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.